0: What's going on here and what's the actual motivation? And my guess is the motivation is to get rid of the low-hanging fruit with as little effort as possible.
1: Hey, podcast listener, even if you are alone in your entrepreneurial journey, know that today, right now in your earbuds, you are joined by thousands of entrepreneurs from all around the globe seeking to grow better, more profitable location-independent businesses. If you'd like to learn more about what we do and download our entire back catalog, check out tropicalmba.com. All right, so this is a new one audience. This episode that you're about to listen to today, thanks for listening to the TMBA podcast by the way, was completely finished, done and dusted, uploaded to the cloud, ready to go out. To your earbuds. And then we got an email. And then we got an email. And now here we are in a very small phone booth designed for one person, (laughs) re recording the intro to
2: this podcast because the email that we got actually has some
1: pretty interesting repercussions to what we're going to talk about today, believe it or not. Today's story will be in two parts, and you're going to have to wait. Until the end of the episode to hear its ongoing nature, because it's just still ongoing. We're still figuring out what's going on ourselves. So this story is happening in real time, and we're going to take you along for the journey. So, Ian, it all started with a cease and desist letter that we received via email, which we are going to read extracts from.
2: I can't go into too much detail, Dan, for reasons that will become apparent, but it was to do with our TMBA logo, and I got pretty pissed off, to tell you the truth. I settled down finally after a few days, it really took me a few days, and wrote a letter which I
1: felt pretty good about. And I think it's fair to say that maybe all of your anger hadn't dissipated by the time you had sat down to write the letter.
2: Uh, yeah, definitely. I mean, I'm still, I'm still red. I can, you can get me <laughs> aggravated if you wanted to. Now, this was months ago, Dan, when we received this letter, and we responded, and we didn't hear back for months. So at this point, I thought it would be a good opportunity to get legal input on what had transpired. And that's the great thing about our private community, Dan, the DC Dynamite Circle, is that we generally have a member we can call on when something like this happens.
0: I'm Eric Mistarevich. I'm an attorney with Revision Legal, and we help uh, businesses that make money online. So let's just read this original cease and
1: desist letter. Are you good for that, boss man? Here it is. Subject, trademark infringement. Dear mr Andrews and Shone, I am corporate counsel intellectual property for... <laughs> in... <laughs> That's very arrogant right off the bat. As you are likely aware, <laughs> owns and has used its famous logo below since has used the trademark and trade name for nearly a decade during intellectual property rights to resolve this matter amicably without the need to involve our outside legal counsel. We request that you immediately, that you permanently cease all use of the logo on your website and as part of your podcast logo and in any other advertising or promotional materials. I would appreciate your confirmation and you will comply with the request by February 1st, 2019, underline boldface. If I don't hear from you by then, our company policy is to refer the matter to our outside counsel.
2: Eric, put yourself in my shoes for a minute. It's Monday morning. I don't even think I've had my coffee at this point. I open up my laptop. I see an attachment to an email from a person I've never heard before. And the name of the document is a final letter. And the subject line is trademark infringement. What are you thinking if you're me right now? You're not a lawyer. You're just me, the business owner, and you get this email on Monday morning.
0: Yeah. I'd be scared. I'd be unsure of what this means. I'd be unsure of, are they right? Did I really do this wrong? I mean, I think most of the time people in this situation don't, you don't have any intent to find yourself in this. And so you are somewhat blindsided by the fact that someone's making these terrible allegations against you. Like you're the worst person on the planet and you had no intent to do anything wrong. And you wondered, Did I make a mistake? Did I really screw this up? I think you'd be pretty frightened.
2: What is it that most people in my situation do at this point?
0: Some people try to communicate directly, they don't try to get an attorney. Some people will just roll over and and give in right away. Some of that depends on the stakes. You know, if it's a relatively minor issue and to you, and you're fine to just stop using a certain mark, then some people might give up right away. Other people might ignore it. That's probably the, the biggest problem we see is people get this, they think, eh, nothing's gonna come of this. They ignore it. That never helps. I tell every client I've had is you've reached the right settlement when both sides are equally pissed off.
2: <laughs> yeah.
0: It's just the way it is. Most of the time settlements aren't reached where one side is just happy as can be and the other side's devastated. It's a compromise and it takes a give on both ends to have certainty, to have the issue over, to stop paying attorneys and to get on to doing what you normally do.
2: We can talk a little bit about my approach and what I did, but first I want to talk about the type of lawyer that writes this email. Do you have insights into that because I started when I got this email, the first thing that I did was I googled the attorney that wrote me this email and I started to figure out like who they were as a lawyer and as a person. And I started to construct all these stories about how they're the worst person in the world, trying to justify their existence, troll, things like that. Do you have insights into who this person is?
0: Yeah. So this letter was written by an in-house counsel. So right away, to me, that tells me they're not really serious about suing you. They're policing their mark. They're doing what they would consider their, their due diligence to try to protect their rights in their own mark. I would guess this letter has been sent out in substantially the same form to a lot of other people, and they probably have a whole stack of these on their desk, and they're looking to chip away and get as much protection as possible.
2: Is it actually to go to court and win money, or is it just to basically make the internet look nothing like this site?
0: My guess would be they're not really serious about filing any type of lawsuit. You know, they refer at the end of the letter to to refer this matter to outside counsel. That's a standard statement from from an in-house counsel. And I think they're especially with larger corporations, if you ever get a cease and desist letter from a larger corporation, they are almost always overreaching. Interesting. Because it's a common phrase of mm-hmm. they're a bully, right? They're a trademark bully. They're almost always overreaching because they just want to own as much as possible. And every other person they're sending a letter to is so small compared to them that they just have more money to spend. And they could waste money and try to just own their mark well outside the boundaries of what the law would normally allow.
2: Eric, I want to read you my response. And I'll just give you a little bit of background before I do that. My initial reaction was to roll over. I just thought, like, you know, this isn't that important to us. We're a small brand. This is a fairly minor change. You know, I'd just rather not deal with this, basically. But then I talked to a friend of mine who had actually gotten several of these letters before. And he shared with me an approach, which we can discuss, that is at the end of my email. And I'll just go ahead and read it. Our official response on January 27th, 2019. Hello, We've received the attached letter. We can certainly understand your concern, although we're not of the belief that the logo used within the TMBA brand infringes on your IP. There are some basic yet distinct differences between the two from the top view, and the majority point up and to the right. As you are probably aware, the TMBA does not endorse nor does it sell any services related to this business. That being said, we believe the matter can be resolved with fair compensation. Given the multiple teams we'll need to involve in order to make appropriate changes, we anticipate a cost of $25,000 and believe they can be made within 14 days. If you agree, we'll start engaging our team immediately. Respectfully, Ian Schoen. So Eric, what do you think about my response?
0: I think it's pretty good. You hit on one really strong defense kind of at the end, which I think is the most important, the idea that you don't sell this other company's services. You might not have been aware that was your, your strongest point because you, 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 you had it at the end. <laughs> Overall, like pushing back against these bullies, just like a 10,000 foot view is good because you're a pain in the ass, right? They want someone to roll over. They don't want to have to send five letters and explain their position over and over and over again to you and have you contest it. They're hoping for a quick response. When they don't get that, you know, it starts to be diminishing returns for them as well. So just the general idea of pushing back, I thought was good. Now, some of the specifics you have, you know, these are really common things that people, I think, get confused about with trademark where, you know, you're referencing, well, you use this hex color and we use this hex color. Your, you know, logo has, you know, this aspect to it. Ours is slightly different. Those small differences aren't gonna mean a whole lot if this was an actual trademark infringement lawsuit. Trademark law is really flexible, it's really fluid. It's not like like a patent where it's like very scientific, it's rigid. So I think oftentimes we get questions of people saying, well, they spell their mark like this and we change two letters or we have one of the letters backwards. Isn't that enough to make it our own? And the answer is usually almost always no, it's not. So that's what trademark law is all about, is preventing confusion in the marketplace. We don't want consumers to be confused by who is providing a certain good or service. It's supposed to protect the consumer in understanding who is behind a certain product. So
2: very subjective.
0: It's very subjective, yeah. The ultimate test is called a likelihood of confusion, and it's a six or seven factor test where they look at how similar are the marks, how similar are the goods and services, how sophisticated is the consumer that's buying it, what channels of trade are these products or services available in. It's a big old messy balancing test. So small little differences like hex colors are almost irrelevant.
2: I had this issue actually come up yesterday. I was discussing we had filed a trademark for one of our company names. And the question came up, does it cover the plural? So if you just add an S to the end of the name. And I think the answer is yes, right?
0: The answer is yes, with, of course, as any attorney will say, some (laughs) clarification. Here's a really important thing for everyone to take away, is you start gaining trademark rights the moment you are using your mark in commerce. Okay, You don't have to register it. The moment you start selling your goods or services under your mark, you are gaining trademark rights in that mark. And so when you have trademark rights like that, yes, if someone else uses the exact same mark with an S on it for similar goods or services that are presented to the consumer in similar channels of trade, that would be infringing. Absolutely.
2: Meaning, you know, you have the right to your trademark as soon as you use it in commerce meaning if you buy a domain... Meaning if you start calling your product that name in the marketplace, if something is visually available or openly available to the public, right?
0: Yeah. So you hit on a really important distinction. Buying a domain name is not enough. Domain names do not equal trademark rights. It's possible that it can if you're actually using that domain name as a trademark to identify the source of your product. But just general advice, don't think you have trademark rights just because you registered a domain name. But everything else you said is correct. We actually made a comic book that kind of explains some of these benefits of trademark registration. We've handed it out at some of the DC events. I think we're going to share a link to it so everyone can see it. And we tried to present it in a way that is less lawyerly.
2: There's a dragon in it. I'd say it's a lot less lawyerly. (laughs)
0: <laughs> yeah. It's about a red dragon and a and, you know, red dragon is your trademark and you see how it grows and gets stronger over time. And registration brings these really important benefits. To me, it's a really good investment into a business.
2: You know, relatively inexpensive to file for these trademarks, but then defending it is a whole different deal.
0: Yes. And that's why you shouldn't go around registering things you don't care about. Or things that can't truly be protected. You know, a lot of times people come with, you know, somewhat common phrases for the industry that, you know, they're certainly not the only one using it. And they say, well, no one else has registered it. Why can't I? And the answer is, well, you probably can, but you're never going to be able to enforce it because so many people have used it. But the stuff that's really important to you, you should register and that registration will give you a leg up in any dispute or battle down the road, the most practical example of this is trademark rights are kind of a race. The person who uses the mark first generally has the rights to it, but trademark registration is a different animal. It's really the first to register. Someone else comes along and registers either the exact mark or something similar and now that junior user has the registration. Now you kind of finally get your stuff together say, okay, I'm going to go register it. Contact an attorney. They say, oh, you're blocked. This guy's ahead of you. And you say, well, I used it first. The registration process doesn't care. It's whoever files first. So now instead of spending 1500 $2,000 to get your registration, you're probably 10Xing that cost to now cancel the registration ahead of you.
2: We've registered a couple of these over the years. I think what you said is true, which is like, you can't go around registering everything. You have to only register things that you feel like are going to be important to you. Now, for an entrepreneur, this can often be difficult because you don't know what's going to be successful a lot of times, and you're trying a lot of different things. So I think it is a careful balance trying to figure out like, hey, this is what we're going with. I know it's going to be here forever. I know I'm going to have to defend this. I know it's going to be valuable, right? It's hard to know that right away. So I understand why people don't register right away and they just start using it. But I think, you know, there is a tipping point and maybe you have some insight into what this tipping point should be, where it makes sense to go ahead and formally register.
0: Yeah. I mean, it has to make business sense. Your business has to be in the position where spending $1,500 to invest in a registration makes sense. I have no problem at all with people starting businesses and not registering their trademark right away. It's not the most important thing because you are still acquiring rights by using it. But once a $1,500 investment, you realize the value in that because, you know, it comes with a bunch of other things. Well, if if you're Amazon, it gives you brand registry. If there's usernames on social media that you can't get, having a registered trademark will help you get them. Even things like uh, if you ever run into domain disputes, having a registered trademark protects your entire website from being on your specific domain. So if this is a brand that you are building, this is really a steal <laughs> for the benefits that you get with trademark registration. And you know, I always tell people everything you do boils down to your trademark. People look at your mark and they immediately connect it with. The quality of the good, the quality of the service. Oh, I love this product. Oh, I don't like that product. It takes time to build a reputation, whether it's good or bad, but you're all trying to build this goodwill to your business. And that's all encompassed within your registration and your trademark. And it's also a good thing if you ever have an idea of selling. It's another asset that comes along with the sale that you went ahead and took the time, invested in the business, and you have this registration. It doesn't expire either. The maintenance costs outside of defending a a lawsuit, which is somewhat rare, but the maintenance costs are relatively low. You're looking at $500 every five years. It's pretty low.
2: I'll tell you what, Eric, I have uh, registered these myself before because the process is fairly straightforward, but there's definitely a lot of ways that you can screw it up. One of the other benefits, too, I think, of registering your trademark and protecting yourself is you get to be the bully. (laughs) So this letter that we got, I get to send that to people if I have a trademark. And I have sent that letter to people.
0: Absolutely. It's a real benefit in those kinds of situations to be able to say, here's our registration. There's no question about this. We own it. And you're infringing on it. It really takes all of the, not all, but it takes a lot of the questions and some of their defenses right out from under them. The application process you can figure out, but owning your brand, owning your trademark isn't just about that one registration and there's more to it. It's more of a, a kind of global thing for your business. And so, you know, we would help people draft their application. You know, you should be thinking about, okay, this is what I do now. But what am I planning on doing in the future? Where do I see myself expanding? Because you can kind of nail in rights early for those things, even before you're actually doing it at a relatively minor additional cost, like we're talking under $300 to kind of expand your rights in your initial filing. So, you know, I always view trademark registration as a nice addition to working closely with a business because we, we understand who they are, what they're doing, where they're going. And sometimes those kinds of insights can really make your mark and your whole whole kind of IP brand protection stronger overall.
2: Well, that's a great point, Eric. And it's one that's worth mentioning here, which is we've hired uh, several lawyers through the years. It's really good to get a guy like you or some type of lawyer that really understands your business involved early. Have a proactive sense about what's coming down the pike, how we 're going to protect ourselves, the things that we need to do to be prepared to be successful
0: yeah, absolutely the most important thing for that in my mind is communication so communication from the client because you know the billable hour is scary and people don't like you know a lot of people have probably been very surprised by an attorney bill they've received how much it is, and that billable hour is kind of a barrier to communication between us and the client and i hate that my favorite thing about being an attorney is being a part of these teams and helping them grow and achieve their goals it's i don't know it's fun it's fun to be part of those teams
1: Today's episode is sponsored by ShipHero.com. Thank you, ShipHero. Hey, they handle more Shopify third-party fulfillment orders than any other provider. If you run a Shopify store, if you're thinking about it, you basically need to be a warehouse operations genius, constantly sorting inventory, fulfillment, and shipping rather than doing what you're supposed to do, the entrepreneur running your business. And add to that We all know your customers want their order tomorrow. So let Ship Hero help. They have created a solution called Ship Hero Fulfillment. And get this, they will both handle your inventory and ship your orders on your behalf. They have warehouses throughout the United States and provide easy, transparent, fixed pricing. And get this with no minimums or setup fees. So even if you're just starting out or if your store is already there, ShipHero can help you ship at any volume level, and it only takes seconds to get started. Simply connect your Shopify store to ShipHero, and boom, you're halfway there. They have an easy-to-use dashboard to help you manage your products and view your shipments. So if you run a Shopify store and want to test it out, these folks are so confident you'll love their service. This is a total no-brainer that they are offering tmba listeners that's you $100 to try ship hero. so head on over to fulfillment.shiphero.com tmba and sign up using the code tmba as a bonus their team is on hand to answer any questions you have that's right ship hero handles millions of orders a month and they really know their stuff so check them out Shiphero.com. That link again is fulfillment.shiphero.com slash TMBA.
2: Eric, I want to get back to this letter. Initially, I wasn't going to write this letter. I was just going to say, hey, we're going to roll over. Sorry about that. But then I got inspired by a friend, and his suggestion is the end of my letter, which basically suggests if you want us to change this, we will do it, but it's going to cost you. A fair amount of money. What are you thinking if you're the lawyer on the other end and you received this request and you went from potentially making money to potentially paying money?
0: If I was writing this letter and, and you gave that response to me, I would probably smile and chuckle a little bit of, okay, that's a good one. <laughs> I like I like that strategy from this person. I think it's a really creative idea to push it back on them and say, well, how badly do you really want this? because it quickly kind of frames the issue because listen, if they really wanted to sue you and really wanted to come after you, it's going to cost them a hell of a lot more than the number you put in there to do. And so, you know, it really kind of forces an honest conversation, hopefully about what's going on here and what's the actual motivation. And my guess is, The motivation is to get rid of the low-hanging fruit with as little effort as possible. And if someone's going to fight back, then they're really going to have to think about whether this case is strong enough to spend time and energy in.
2: Do you think that I've put myself in any kind of jeopardy or danger by writing this email?
0: No, no. I mean, they wrote a letter asking, you know, this is our position. You wrote a letter back saying, this is my position. I don't think there's any danger here. When there is willful infringement, it's pretty obvious. You can see someone just completely ripping off another business. That is a problem. Defending yourself is not a problem. And that's a good point because a lot of times clients will say, are they going to get mad if I write this back? Nine times out of ten, the answer is no, you're not doing anything wrong by protecting and enforcing your own rights. No one's going to take personal offense to this. This is business. This is a legal issue. And that's how things are handled. You know, we write very frank letters back and forth between attorneys all the time that they say one position, and we write back and say, you are completely wrong for these three reasons. And that's how our practice is. Now I'm going to get on the phone with that attorney and have a pleasant conversation with them. Most of the time we're doing our job, we're advocating for our clients. And there are occasions where people do get emotional ties to it, but in this setting, you know, you put forth a response, you stated your position, we don't sell the same thing. So what that means to me is there's no confusion. No one's coming to us and thinking you're sponsored by this big corporation. And then you kind of said, hey, you want to really resolve this, put your money where your mouth is and and let's talk. So I don't think you'd, you did anything wrong or exposed yourself by, by defending yourself.
2: And I'll tell you what the uh, response was, Eric, if you're not aware, there was no response. Yeah. You know, that leads me to believe, one, the version in my head that's a uh, scared entrepreneur is that there's this army mounting in front of my door and my curtains are closed. and I can't see it. And it goes, you know, for miles and miles. And at some point, they're just going to bang down the door and take my house. And then the other is that she kind of shrugged her shoulders and said, hmm, on to the next one. I didn't get to tally this one into the
0: bed frame. <laughs> yeah, I think that's probably the case.
2: Eric, you mentioned something else that I think is interesting. So one time, We hired a lawyer that wasn't so great and it was actually to sell our business. One of the things that I actively had to guard against was the two lawyers getting on the phone together to talk because it happened like one or two times at the beginning of our negotiations. And then it just started to get these huge bills. (laughs) And I just thought like, hold on a second. There's a correlation between how much money I'm spending and how many times both of our lawyers get on the phone. I ended up trying to figure out these problems and then only go into my lawyer because he was a bad lawyer for the parts that I needed him involved in. So he didn't have a whole picture of what was going on, but I was keeping him off the phone. So one of my questions to you, and this is from like a client's perspective, is like, how do I get the most out of my client-attorney relationship by spending a reasonable amount of money?
0: That's a good question. And you are not alone in receiving surprising bills from attorneys. To me, it's a fair question for someone hiring us to ask, how much is this going to cost? And I don't view that as being difficult or anything. I would ask the same thing. If I had to hire an attorney for something else, I would ask that attorney the exact same question.
2: The only other person that doesn't tell you the answer to this, generally speaking, is your dentist.
0: (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) Not someone I want to be lumped in together with. You should ask that question and they should be able to answer it. Now, I tell people, if I can flat rate a project, I will. And so that way, they know exactly what they pay. I know exactly what I do. There's no questions. When that's not possible, when it's a little bit more open-ended, and there's going to be a lot of back and forth, either between multiple parties, it's hard to quote a a real flat rate. In those situations, I, I provide a range, and I say, listen, I would expect it to be somewhere between X and X. I'm going to do my best to keep it on the lower end, but you need to be aware that it could be on the higher end. And then I always tell people, listen, I'm not going to surprise you with a bill. If we have one identified project and we're getting up there, I'm going to tell you that we're getting up there so you know where we're at. There's no question, you shouldn't have any hesitation to ask about how do they bill and how much is this going to cost? Now getting into what should the attorney be doing and what should they not be doing you know it's a little bit of a tricky area the attorney is the one that you've hired to guide you through this process and they certainly need to have your trust in them at least I do that i'm not going to waste your time i always tell people i'm too i got too many other things to do to spend a whole lot of time running up your bill i think that's
2: actually a very good metric and i've run into that before which is like, hey, I'm way too busy to work with you. I'll work with you in these conditions. And that gives me tons of confidence because <laughs> I think like, well, they're not just going to be uh, sitting on the phone all day.
0: And doing your homework. When clients come to me with a very clear idea of exactly what they want a business relationship to look like, you know, I can probably get that done in one draft. We go over it once, a couple changes, done. The problem is when you come to me with one plan, I do it and then your idea changes and then it changes and then it changes and then it changes. You didn't think it out ahead of time. Now, some of that you have to talk to me to understand what does it all mean? But I usually try to get that done before I start drafting. And so getting your own homework done, doing the things that reaching agreements between the partners or even the adverse parties, like, There's nothing wrong with two business partners coming together and negotiating that deal between themselves and then giving me a term sheet and saying, here you go. That's better for everyone. So don't make it difficult for me. Have your stuff organized. Make my life easier and I will have to spend less time on it.
2: It's a good point, Eric, which is, and I don't think a lot of people know this. You can come to your lawyer with what you'd like to be your outcome. And of course, if you have a good lawyer, they'll come in and say like, well, you're wrong, Ian. Actually, it's these seven things, not these five things. You missed a couple. But I think coming with a plan, like you said, to you is a great idea because it also gives you a backstop of something to work on.
0: Yeah. I mean, the more information from the client, the better. I tell people all the time, just tell me everything that you think is important. I will help you decide whether or not it's truly important. Okay. But like, I can't read your mind. So tell me, tell me everything and I'll be able to sift through this stuff pretty quickly because, you know, the things that people come to us for, we've done a whole lot of times. And so we know how to identify the issues, you know, really quickly. But when someone does have, you know, I just helped some, a couple of people with a sale of a business and the exact same thing came up. You know, they want me to disclose all of these, uh, links or rented links. And I'm, I'm not sure what they mean by that. And, you know, I do have independent contractors that I paid to write content and then they posted it on their own site. Does that mean that's a rented, like, that's what I'm really kind of make sure we get cleared up. And that's really helpful because now I, I wouldn't have never known that about their business if I just read the document and said, well, do you got any questions about this? And they say, no. I wouldn't know. So like, it takes that level of communication for me to figure out what to focus on and then how to amend the language to fit that specific need.
2: Eric, another thing I think is important when you're looking for a really great lawyer is find one that's creative. Can you give me some examples of creative solutions you've had to come up with in the entrepreneurial space?
0: I very often am essentially mediating a purchase where okay this client the seller has inventory but it's not at amazon it's at a you know an offsite third-party storage freight forwarder the buyer doesn't want to pay for they're very cost conscious about inventory and we're able to work out a deal where okay well this freight forwarder is actually going to be a better deal for you but you know, the seller will come up and they'll pay the transportation to Amazon. Like Figuring out a way of, okay, what's the pain point for you? What's the pain point for you? And how do we get in here in the middle in terms of get this deal done? Those things come up a lot. Litigation is an area where creativity comes up quite a bit because there's just so much going on. So the way you are able to The parties you name in a lawsuit can have a big difference. It adds a different type of pressure onto an individual being named rather than a corporation or in both, you know, where you file the suit. One of the things that we do that I I don't think many people do is we handle a lot of domain theft cases. Someone wakes up, they check their registrar account, their domains are gone. We have to come up with ways of getting those back. And that takes a whole lot of creativity to figure out procedurally, how are we going to do this? Where do we file? How do we get the information? Who do we subpoena? Who are the registrars? How do we get all of this together? And how do we get a court to okay this? Because a lot of times it's some kind of hacker. They're out of the country. They stole the domains. They're not going to come defend the lawsuit. But there is a big procedural mess to file that lawsuit and get a court to order your registrar, to transfer those domains back to our guys. That it's a really fun area to work in. And it's certainly not anything that is, there are no straight lines in those cases.
2: What you mentioned about getting a deal done during a sale, I think is really important. A lot of times I think it can feel like when you're working with two lawyers, trying to sell a business or trying to negotiate something, a lot of times it feels like the incentives aren't aligned. Right, So, I was talking about it before, like you know lawyers get paid no matter what happens, this deal may or may not happen, depending on what happens, you know with these negotiations. a lot of times too, these deals they can just be so emotional, right? I've caught myself in wrapped up in these emotions, like, oh, there's no way I'm giving this guy this inventory for half off like I can't believe it. I've given him so many concessions already, and then it takes someone like you to come in and say, like, "Dude, do you want to get this deal done?
0: Listen. A lot of times the people, they come to us for business issues, but they are personal. They have personal investment into that business, or they're in a lawsuit where they are personally alleged to have done something wrong and they're completely denying it. Well, you can completely deny it all you want, and maybe you're going to win, but here's the risk, and here's how much it's going to cost, or here's a way out where it makes sense. It makes sense from a business perspective, and you have to divorce yourself from that emotional tie to it. I mean, egos are probably the biggest driver of long, expensive litigation because you want to win and you didn't do anything wrong. And hey, as long as you're willing to pay the bill to go all the way there to prove it, fine. But nine times out of 10, you got to try to take that emotional aspect out of it. And that is, especially in litigation and in, in deals when, you know, there's a concession here, there's a concession there and they're adding up. You know, sometimes you got to remind someone, yeah, but look at the number. <laughs> look at the number you're going to get if this thing closes. There's things that you're getting to. The other side's making concessions in areas that you need to.
2: What percentage of work would you say it is that entrepreneurs are coming to you for? Is it what's the split in uh, proactive versus reactive work?
0: And what should it be? Most of the time, we're finding trademark clients to be contacting us earlier and seeking registration or seeking to send cease and desist letters out to others which hasn't always been the case but you know the the more our business has matured and grown and the and the clients that were are coming to us now tend to be on that side of the case where they're seeking to protect their brand they're looking forward they're forming a new company they're bringing on investors or they are potentially the plaintiff in a lawsuit you know, I don't know that there's a really a right or wrong number because some of the reactive stuff is just going to be out of your control. You know, there's nothing you could have done to avoid getting that letter that you got. It doesn't, you didn't do anything wrong by it, but you were in a reactive position. So being in a reactive position doesn't mean you did anything wrong. But most of the time, I'm finding more and more trending towards. Proactive in terms of planning for growth, planning for investment, planning for corporate formation, and then how do we protect all of our IP, whether it's copyright, patent, or trademark?
2: Because we've talked a lot about them. Can you go ahead and give me an overview of what a trademark is, how you get one, what the registration process is, and tips for naming a new product?
0: Yeah. So a trademark is your word or symbol or combination of the two that identifies the source of your goods or services. Where did this product come from? Who's behind it? That's what a trademark is and it, it is intended to encompass really all of the goodwill within your product or service is really embodied in that mark and that's what's you know public facing. Not all trademarks are created equal. There are good trademarks and there are bad trademarks. Bad trademarks are things that are descriptive. Descriptive of the product you know apple pie candle for a candle that smells like apple pie Not good. That's not good. Okay Further up the chain is something called suggestive an example of that would be gorilla glue The leap from okay. It's a gorilla. That means it's strong. That means it's strong glue making that logical leap makes your trademark a little bit stronger that the user has to connect those or the customer has to connect those two things Higher up the list are things that are called arbitrary. So Apple for computers. You know, Apple is a generic word. Everyone knows what Apple is. It has nothing to do with computers until it did. And that's a really strong mark. To have a completely arbitrary word for your product is a strong mark. The strongest are called fanciful, which are made-up words. Trello, Instagram. They had no meaning until you invented it.
2: Which seems to be the trend these days. Uh, at least on the internet world. And my guess about that is because all the domains
0: disappeared. Yeah, they probably have something in common with each other for sure. A lot of times people want to name their product in a manner that tells the consumer what it is. And that makes sense because you want people just to know what it is that you, you sell. But that's actually pretty weak from a trademark perspective.
2: Anything else we should know about registering a trademark? And how it can be uh, helpful to your business?
0: It really is. I view it as an investment into your business that if you don't do it and someone else does it, you just cost yourself 10 times the amount of money that it costs to get it in the first place. Your business should be profitable. You should be making money. But once you can invest and get that registration, you really should do it soon because of all the benefits that it comes with it. And the other thing is, even if you don't go for the registration right away, you should at least clear the name because if you pick a mark and it's successful and now you want to go register it. And then we say, "Uh Oh, there's a bunch of marks out here that are a problem. You're never going to be able to register this mark. Now you got to face this decision of do I just keep going with this uncertainty of maybe these other people think I'm infringing or do I rebrand and that's going to be a nightmare. So like clearing your name, even if you don't register it, to get a sense of the landscape is important. And you can do a lot of this on your own. You can go into the USPTO's website and find their database of marks and search in there. And you can at least do something on your own if you don't want to hire an attorney at the outset.
2: Eric, you've worked with a bunch of small businesses, online entrepreneurs. What are some of the other trends that you see in this community? Especially like what are some of the trends that you feel like you should be getting lawyers involved with?
0: So I hear a lot of people coming up with really creative ways of forming businesses, bringing on partners. And a lot of times people use this phrase joint ventures. And anytime I hear the word joint venture, I kind of get scared because usually that means we haven't really defined what this relationship is going to be and we have a really great idea of how this is going to work but we haven't really sorted out the details we'll just call it a joint venture the joint venture deals they can work but it takes time and it takes thought and it really you got to map out who owns what in those kinds of situations because that's often left unclear and so i see a lot of people coming up with these ideas of let's all get together i have this idea you have this product let's get together you need an attorney to help you through that, that should not cost you an arm and a leg. You know, I'll just throw out certainly under $5,000. I think most of the time it would probably be under $3,000. If you are getting into, I want to start this fund and bring on investors, you're going to be $5,000 or up, but people out there, you know, everyone's talking, sharing and wanting to form something bigger and badder and that's great, but get the house in order first.
1: Big ups to Eric from Revision Legal. Fantastic advice there. But wait, there's more. A couple of weeks ago again, before I had my morning coffee, I opened up my emails to see this. Dear Misters Andrews and Schoen, we are our outside trademark litigation counsel for asked us to take over this matter and respond to your email of January 27th, 2019. Uh Uh-oh.
2: Uh-oh, a note from the outside counsel.
1: Yeah. We carefully considered, quote, TMBA response. For the reasons discussed below, among others, your arguments do not change the fact that your logo infringes we strongly recommend you retain competent trademark counsel who will surely advise you of the errors of your analysis and the strength of position, along with your legal and financial exposure if you do not change your logo. That's the end of the letter, boss man. Seems like this isn't over.
2: After months of silence, (laughs) now we've got the fire again. This one will be posted at forward slash revision legal one. And I say one because probably there's going to be a part two to this. I don't think this is over yet.
1: And I guess not surprising. Legal matters are confusing, frustrating. If you have any topics you're interested in, you have any stories you want to share with us, tropicalmba.com slash revision legal one. That's right. We will be back with a continuation of this story. Ready to get out of here? hot, man. (laughs) This boot is too small. Thanks for joining us. We'll be back next Thursday morning, 8 a.m. Eastern Standard Time. Hey, thanks for listening to the Tropical MBA podcast. You can go to tropicalmba.com get access to hundreds of back episodes and all kinds of other goodies. Load up your iPod. That is the cheapest way to fly business class on your next international flight. We will see you next Thursday morning 8 a.m. Eastern Standard Time.